passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Jordan Gowing. Well, good morning again. Uh, welcome uh, to Crosswinds Church. This morning, we are continuing our series on uh, the Ten Commandments. And last week, we, we framed the Ten Commandments really in the context of, of Jesus' words in the Gospels. Uh, when Jesus is asked what is the greatest of all the commandments, he sums up the first half and the second half of the Ten Commandments by saying this. The text is from Mark chapter 12. Jesus answered, the most important commandment is, hear, O Israel, the Lord Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And then he continues to describe the second table of the, of the Ten Commandments by talking about how we are called to love others as well. And these past few weeks, as we've been working our way through the Ten Commandments, we've been looking at what it means for us to truly love God what it means for each and every one of us to love God with all our hearts, with all of our soul, with all of our minds, with all of our strength, not as a way to merit our deliverance that God has given to us, but instead as a response to what God has already done for us. Remember the context of the Ten Commandments found in Exodus chapter 20. They start with these words, and God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Like the Israelites, we once were slaves, we once were powerless, we once had no hope, and yet God intervenes into history and delivered us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved Son. And that is the context for this command this morning, this demand that God places on our lives. And if you have a Bible, I invite you to open up to Exodus chapter 20. This morning, we're going to be looking at the third of the Ten Commandments. Uh, this is the command to not take the Lord's name in vain. And as we think about that, that call, that charge that God gives us to not take his name in vain, we consider just the, the fact that however we use a person's name reflects how we think of that person, our feelings toward that person. A couple years ago, the name Steph Curry or the name Kevin Durant brought a smile to my face, but over the past few years of the Warriors winning championship after championship after championship, I have gotten sick of hearing those names to the point where it's almost like a, a swear word whenever I say those names. How we use a person's name reflects our feelings toward that person, and that's nowhere more apparent than when it comes to God's name. The way you use God's name, whether you use it positively or negatively, however you use God's name reflects your attitude toward God. But the implications of this verse are far vaster than just the, the concept of, of using God's name, not as a swear word, but in a way that honors him. It's not just about using his name as a curse word. For us to truly grasp this commandment today, I want us to first understand the context of what's, what's being said here, the content of this commandment. And then second, we're going to take some time to look at how we can 
even here in the church, tend to make God's name meaningless. And then finally, I want us to consider the implications of keeping this commandment in a positive way, not just a prohibition of of do not take the Lord's name in vain, but what's the opposite of that? What is God calling us to do as his people? And so as we approach God's word, let's pray once more as we open the Bible. Hear these words uh, as we pray. Lord, as we approach your word, uh, we do so with fear and trembling. We know that you are present among us. And I confess that I've, as I've studied this passage over the past week or so, uh, you've turned over stone uh, after stone in my own heart and my own life where I make your name less holy, where I make your name less magnificent, less beautiful than you really are. And so as we open this text this morning, God, I pray that your spirit would be the one that comes and speaks to us, that you would be at the work, be at work in the hearts of, of each and every person here this morning. God, that you would be the one who leads us to conviction, that you would be the one who leads us to repentance where it is necessary and to a greater love for your beautiful, glorious name. And it's in that name that we have the immeasurable privilege of praying. Amen. Hear these words from Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. The third commandment is all about defending God's honor against the misuse of his name or the slander of his name. In ancient Israel, a person's name meant far more than it often does today. It carries a a great significance because one's identity was often tied to your name. So in the New Testament, it is significant where one of Jesus' disciples named Simon is renamed Peter or Rock because Jesus says that you are going to be the leader of the apostles. You're going to be the rock. Your confession is the rock on which I will build my church. In the book of Acts, we see that there is this disciple named Joseph whose name is, is changed to Barnabas, which means son of encouragement because he is such an encourager. In the book of Daniel, we see that Daniel... Hananiah, uh, Mishael, and Azariah are all renamed by the Babylonians to these Babylonian names as an attempt to actually cut off their identity from the God of Israel. The association between one's name and identity was inseparable in ancient times. Now, this association uh, between name and identity uh, is is pretty foreign to our culture, but we do see uh, little leftovers of it as well. So, for example, whenever someone uh, just has a child, uh, new parents are sharing the name of their child, they will oftentimes be greeted with numerous affirmations, say, oh, that child looks such like a blank, an Adam, a Ben, a Sally, or whatever the name may be. And when people are saying that, they don't literally mean everything that I know about this person's identity from the time they were born until now, just the past few hours in some cases, uh, everything that I know, what they've revealed to us about their name is summed up in the fact that you call them Sally. No, what, what they're just saying is, well, I like that name. I like that baby, and I like that baby with that name. It's, it's not as powerful as it was uh, in, in ancient times, but it still shows us that, that the identity and the name uh, go together. But when it comes to God's name, unlike parents choosing the name for their children, 
We did not choose God's name for him. Scripture makes it very clear that God does not have his name chosen for him, but he actually reveals it to his people. At the beginning of the book of Exodus, God reveals his name, and he reveals his identity, his nature, his character by revealing that name. Remember, Exodus chapter 3, which we read last week, says this, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. God's name, Yahweh, God's name, I am who I am, matters because it describes his identity. It describes who he is. It describes his character in a way that nothing else can. The the statement, I am who I am, is a declaration that God is existing by himself. He doesn't depend on anyone. It means that God is self-sufficient, that he is in charge of the entire universe, and on and on and on. In short, God's name matters because in it we see his identity. We see God's identity in his name. And so the reason why there is a command to not take the Lord's name in vain is because God's name has such immeasurable value when we refer to his character. This prohibition here is not to use his name in vain, but that's, that's kind of an archaic use of, of English. And so we might wonder, well, what exactly is meant by this? Uh, here, here's a, a translation with, with a more common English or more modern English. Uh, hopefully this will help. Uh, Exodus 20, verse 7. You shall not use the name of the Lord your God meaninglessly, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who uses his name meaninglessly. So this command here is deeply concerned with the use of God's name that is vain or the use of God's name that is meaningless. And for us to use God's name in a meaningless way is to declare actually that God himself is meaningless. It is declare that God himself has no value, that when you use God's name in a meaningless way, You are making a statement about who he is, that he's an afterthought, that he's of no value. And so with that in mind, we can see the implications of this verse are far greater than just a nasty habit of saying, oh my God, after you are surprised, though that is certainly included in this passage. The applications of this command are far reaching. They're applicable to each and every one of us. Any way of speaking about God in a way that diminishes his identity, diminishes his significance, diminishes his meaningfulness, is prohibited by this command. God's name matters because God reveals himself through it. One pastor, he points out this out in a very helpful way by, by describing franchise businesses and how this, this reveals to us how this is such an offense to God. And so let me just use the illustration he uses. In order for you to run a franchise, so that could be McDonald's, it could be Pizza Hut, Hy-Vee, Starbucks, whatever the case may be, uh, you need a contract with the company in order to use their name and in order to use their likeness. 
Now, if you are uh, running a franchise, uh, you are given permission to use that name. You're given permission to use that likeness, but you have to do so in an appropriate way that represents the company in which that name is there for. So let's take Pizza Hut, for example, because I always seem to mention pizza in my sermons. Let's say I decide that I'm going to open up a Pizza Hut restaurant here in town. I buy a pizza oven. I begin doing some marketing with the Pizza Hut name and brand, and I open up for business. Things are going really well at the beginning, uh, but then I, ha- I have this unrealized dream, and this is a true story. Uh, t- about 10 years ago uh, or so, Crystal and I were in Nicaragua, and I was daydreaming about pizza. Uh, you can see where my life and priorities are. I was dream- daydreaming about pizza, and I had this great idea to start a pizza chain where you would allow people to make their own pizzas. And then as I explained this to everyone in Nicaragua, they looked at me like, well, isn't that what people already do anyway? You just get to tell people what to make on your pizzas. But let's say that I'm so focused on this dream, I want to see it brought to fruition, and so I decide that I'm going to create a pizza restaurant that's a lot like a hoo-hot or a Mongolian grill style, where you get to pick out your toppings, and then you throw it on the grill, and you wait for it to be done. But let's say I go even further than that, and I decide to cut all of the usual toppings from the menu, and I decide that we're only going to serve pizzas with three toppings, Brussels sprouts, chicken teriyaki, and egg noodles. Disclaimer, I would never, ever do that in my life if I owned a pizza place. Word, we'll get back to Pizza Hut, the corporate headquarters of Pizza Hut, pretty quickly when people begin to call my Pizza Hut and, and want to order a pepperoni pizza and are told, sorry, but you can have some Brussels sprouts instead. How do you think the corporate office will respond to that? Do you think they'll come to Spencer and they'll give me a a certificate of creativity for my bold and and admittedly terrible ideas for pizza toppings? No, they're not going to do that. Instead, they're going to send me a legal notice that says cease and desist. If I'm going to carry their name, I'm also going to carry their menu. And if I don't carry their menu, then I'm going to have to remove their name from my business. If I have misused their name, I have misrepresented them, and they're going to prosecute me to the full extent of the law. So it is with God's command and God's warning here. He warns his people not to misuse his name, not to misrepresent him, because if they do, they will by no means be held guiltless. Judgment awaits those who misuse, misrepresent, and remove the meaning and the weight of God's name with their speech. So let's consider three overarching categories that we oftentimes uh, will fall into when we break the third commandment today. Remember, the third commandment is a general prohibition against any meaningless use of God's name that can have many Uh, many applications beyond just simply swearing. So how do people treat God's name as meaningless today? Well, first way is this. We treat God's name as meaningless when we use it irreverently, when we use it irreverently. In other words, we break the third commandment when we refer to God's name in a way that is devoid of respect, when it is devoid uh, of thought and careful consideration to how we use it. Now, this certainly includes using God's name as a curse word. It shows a lack of respect for God's name, and by extension, a lack of respect for his, for his identity to use his name as a form of swearing. Now, to avoid the breaking of this commandment, Jews uh, in ancient times, they actually stopped using the, uh, using the name of God completely. 
The only person that would use it would be the high priest, and he would only use it one day a year on the Day of Atonement when he went into the Holy of Holies. It's the only time God's name was uttered in Israel. They thought that if we are, are gonna keep this command, the safest way to do it is for us to not even mention his name. But that's not what God has in mind. God wants us to use his name, and he actually wants us to use it often. He just wants to make sure that we do it the right way. The reason why God reveals his name to Moses and then to the people of Israel through Moses in the Old Testament is because he is establishing a relationship with them. He wants them to truly understand who he is. He wants his name to always be on the lips of his people. And indeed, that's the way it was in the Old Testament. The saints of the Old Testament were constantly worshiping the Lord, Yahweh. Consider the way that they worship God for his work in creation. Psalm 8, verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Centuries after this moment here in the book of Exodus, the, the people of Israel would reflect back on God's great salvation, God, God's great deliverance for them, and would say this, Psalm 106, Praise the Lord, O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Who can utter the mighty deeds of the Lord and declare all his praise? Yet he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make known his mighty power. God wants his name to frequently be on the lips of his people, just not in a way that treats it as something foul or unclean or cursed like so many do today, but instead in a way that gives it the weight and the glory that it actually deserves. There are other ways that we will oftentimes uh, make God's name meaningless through irreverent use today, not just through swearing. Another way is through trite usage or just common thoughtless use of God's name. We, we make God's name meaningless when we use cr common Christian sayings without actually giving thought to them, to, to what we're saying, but instead we just spout it off from habit. So, for example, when someone shares good news to you and you respond with the words, praise the Lord, you may be breaking the third commandment if you don't consider what you were actually saying. If your heart actually isn't in a posture of praise, in a posture of gratitude to God for that good news. The, the phrase PTL is something that, that you probably should avoid because it trivializes the, the greatness of who God is. Impulsively saying the words, God is in control in response to someone saying some bad news or how they're stressed out. It could be breaking the third commandment. It might not be, but it could be if you're not giving careful thought to what you're saying. And though God's name isn't explicitly used when you say something like, I'm praying for you, it could be breaking the third commandment if you don't actually pray for someone when you say that you will because you are invoking God in your words of comfort to that person without actually thinking through what you are saying. Maybe uh, you're familiar with the recent Geico commercial that has the manatees, they're in the aquarium, and these manatees swim up to uh, the window, and, and the narrator says, manatees and novelties, surprising. What's more surprising is how many novelty teas among Christians are irreverent today that make the name of God meaningless or trivial. When I was in high school, I had a shirt that said, the Lord's gem bench press this. And it was a picture of Jesus, and, and he, was doing, he was doing a push-up, not even bench press. It was a picture of Jesus doing a, a push-up while he had the weight of the entire world's sins on his shoulders. And as consider this passage, 
as I consider this, this calling to not take the Lord's name and make it meaningless, I, I think that that shirt does exactly that. It, it breaks the third commandment. Similarly, I used to have a shirt that in the Coca-Cola script said, taste and see that the Lord is good. It was a play off the old Coke saying, uh, what was it? Taste the feeling, something like that. It was a trivializing of God's name. It was using his name in a meaningless way. It is shocking how often Christian t-shirts, Christian platitudes, Christian sayings can actually unintentionally break this commandment because we don't give careful thought to what we're doing. Remember, how we speak God's name reveals our beliefs about God. And when we use God's name irreverently, it reveals that our true beliefs of God are that he is not worth value, that he is not worth reverence. When we use his name haphazardly, it reveals to people that we don't really think that God is worth all that much. We treat God's name meaninglessly when we use it in an irreverent way. Of course, there are other more serious ways that we can make the name of God meaningless today, uh, more than just irreverence. The second way that we, we oftentimes do this today is when we treat God's name as meaningless by using God, by using God. And what, you, what I mean by that is that when we use God's name, when we use God's identity to further our own agenda, to further our own cause, we are actually breaking the third commandment. One of the most common sayings in the Old Testament is the, in the prophetic books of the Old Testament is the saying, thus says the Lord. It is a declaration from the prophets to say that their words are not actually their words. They're actually speaking on behalf of God. But there are times in the, in the Bible where people say, thus says the Lord, and yet they're not actually speaking for God. 1 Kings chapter 22 tells us of this military alliance between the wicked king of Israel, Ahab, and the righteous king of Judah, Jehoshaphat. They agree on this military plan to defend both of their nations from the the Syrians. And Jehoshaphat, after all of this, uh, the king of Judah says, I want to make sure that this plan is aligned with God's will. And and so he he asks that they would seek God first. Hear these words from 1 Kings. And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Inquire first from the word of the Lord. And the king of Israel gathered together the prophets, about 400 men, and said to them, Shall I go to battle against Ramoth Gilead, or shall I refrain? And they said, Go up, for the Lord will give it to you into the hand of the king. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not another prophet of the Lord of whom we may inquire? And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, Micaiah, the son of Imlah, but I hate him. For he never prophesies good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say so. And the chapter goes on to reveal that these 400 prophets, these 400 people who say, go up for the Lord will give it into your hands, are not actually speaking on behalf of God. They're just saying what Ahab wanted them to say. They're furthering the king's agenda. They are breaking the third commandment by using God for their own means. And unfortunately, throughout church history, that has been the case for the church as well. The Crusades come to mind, a time where the Pope and many others claimed, thus says the Lord, before committing atrocities throughout the Middle East that still to this day, over a millennium later, are the source of much of the Muslim hatred for Christians 
in Germany during World War II and before that. The majority of churches became party to Nazism. They said that this was actually God's will. Here in the United States, thus says the Lord, has been used to defend slavery in the 1800s and before to oppress civil rights for for women and minorities in the 1900s and, and on and on and on. To this day, politicians of all stripes and political parties will invoke the name of God for their platform, and some of them do so in a legitimate way, but most of them, or many of them, if not most of them, do so not out of a sense of devout belief, but as a way, as a tactic to sway people to vote for them. It's shocking. If you look at all of the statements that have been said, God's name has been attached to virtually any and every political position under the sun no matter how uh, abominous they are to God. It's a way that people use God to further their agenda. A couple of weeks ago, the, there was a Louisiana pastor who made news because he decided that God wanted him to get a new $50 million plus jet. It's using God's name. He abused the title of pastor. He is abusing the, this position of authority that God has given him as a way to further his own agenda by saying, thus says the Lord. Jeremiah 14 warns those who will say, thus says the Lord, to use God for their own agenda. When he says this, and the Lord said to me, the prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I did not send them, nor I did not command them or speak to them. They are prophesying to you a lying vision, worthless divination, and the deceit of their own minds. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who prophesy in my name, although I did not send them, and who say, sword and famine shall not come upon this land. By sword and famine, those prophets shall be consumed. One author describes the offense it is to God when we use his name to further our own agenda. He's talking about an experience from his own life. I just want to read this to you. When I was about 10 years old, my father was the manager of a Christian campground in the Sierra Mountains. One week when the director of the camp came in for an inspection, my, my parents had grounded me for a week for denying, uh, by denying me use of my friend's snowmobile. But I saw my opportunity. I took the snowmobile for a two-hour ride, and when I found my angry parents waiting for me, I simply told them that Pat, the director, told me to go pick something up on the snowmobile, and how could I refuse the director? Well, I never thought that my parents would actually ask Pat what had happened. And when they did, I suffered the ultimate embarrassment. My parents didn't confront me. Pat did, and I felt like a fool. I had claimed his name, his authority for my own disobedience. And we do this whenever we claim God's authority, claim God's direction for our decisions, even when those decisions are not necessarily right. When we hear that illustration... Does it bring to mind times when we have used God's name to get away with things that we know are wrong, where we've used God for our own purposes? We use God. We break this commandment when we use Scripture to justify our sin, when we misinterpret Scripture for our own gain, when we claim that God has spoken to us and said it's okay for us to do certain things, when we attach him to our cause that has nothing to do with Christ. As Jeremiah 14 makes very clear, judgment awaits those who use the name of God for their own, uh, own ends. We should be very slow to take God's name 
on our lips. We should be careful and intentional in our reading of Scripture. God's very own self-revelation, his depiction of who he actually is. And we should be repentant in our battle with sin, not someone who tries to justify our own sins. How you speak about God reveals your beliefs about God. So how do you use his name? Does the way you use his name reveal a belief that he can be manipulated, that he can be explained away, that he can be shoved in the closet until you need him to defend your position, to endorse your beliefs? This commandment says that God will not hold us guiltless. We treat God as meaningless. We treat his name as meaningless when we use him to further our own ends. One final way we break the third commandment and treat God's name as meaningless is in our hypocrisy, in our hypocrisy. For those of us who bear the name Christ, we actually bear God's name. That is one of the highest callings for us is to live in a way that shows great reverence for the name that we actually claim, the name that we bear. Jesus says that there are many who will call on his name, who use his name, but their confession is ultimately meaningless, worthless because of their hypocrisy. Matthew chapter 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. It is commonplace today. It doesn't matter the setting. It is commonplace today to hear God's name used as a swear word. And God is, of course, offended in those instances. God is, is of course, offended when your non-Christian neighbor or coworker or cousin or classmate uses his name as a swear word. But God is just as offended, if not more offended, when we treat his name as meaningless, when we wear his name and then drag it through the mud with actions that are incompatible to the gospel. You see, it is not just our speech that matters when it comes to God's name. It is also our actions because we bear the name of Christ. We treat God's name as meaningless in our hypocrisy. It is so easy to break the third commandment. It's broken daily, whether consciously or unconsciously, when we twist God's words to our own end, when we know the good that we are called to do and yet we don't do it, when we bear his name with little thought on how we are to live and on and on and on. But just like every other of these commandments that we've been working through, this commandment is both positive and negative. We keep the third commandment through a prohibition by not making God's name meaningless, but by extension, we also keep the third commandment by giving God's name the, the weight and the glory and the honor that it actually is meant to have. Jesus is describing how important this commandment is, how important it is to, to make God's name filled with meaning, filled with the identity of who he is, when he's reminding us of the priority of this commandment in the Lord's Prayer. He says this in Matthew 6, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for our Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
You see, rather than heaping up empty phrases, rather than heaping up meaningless phrases in our prayers to God, Jesus tells us that the first thing that should be on our lips is an earnest, wholehearted desire that God's name be hallowed, or God's name be made and kept holy with our speech and with our lives, that God's name would receive the honor, the meaning, the glory, the weight that appropriately reflects who he is and what he has done for us. Jesus tells us that this is one of the most important things that you can do with your life, one of the most important things that you can pray in your life to to keep the name of God with the, the significance and the meaning and the weight that it is worth. And then notice the second petition of the Lord's Prayer. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Acts 19 reveals to us what takes place if we are to do this, if we are to to take the name of God and keep it holy, make it holy and worth something in our lives, if we take it seriously, honor it with our lips and with our lives among God's people, Acts 19 tells us what will happen. Let me read these words to you. Paul is in Ephesus, says this, and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hand of Paul, so that even the handkerchiefs or aprons that touched his skin were carried away to the sick And their diseases left them, and their evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, overpowered them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. What's happening here? What's happening in this passage? Paul is is ministering in Ephesus, and and God is doing miracle after miracle after miracle through Paul, and, and they're all in the name of Jesus. Paul recognizes that the name of Jesus is the only name that we can call upon to be saved. And so these seven seven Jewish men, they see what Paul is doing. They're pretty impressed with the results that Paul is getting, and they decide they want in on that action. And so they decide that they're going to start using Jesus's name as well to start casting out demons. There's just one problem. Paul, of course, fully understands who Jesus is. He understands the link between Jesus' name and the identity and the power of who Jesus is. But these Jewish exorcists, they treat Jesus' name just like a magical incantation. In other words, they just try to manipulate God. They try to use God. They try to, well, they, they do break the third commandment, and it backfires on them. And remember the warning of the third commandment. The Lord will by no means hold him guiltless who makes God's name meaningless. Let's continue reading in Acts 19. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. And many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices, And a number of those who had practiced magical arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase 
and prevail mightily. People are watching. People are watching what happens when God's name is not exalted, and they begin to realize the incredible worth and the incredible majesty of Jesus. What's significant here, if you look at verse 18, verse 18 tells us that this is primarily taking place in the church. It's primarily taking place in the church. The result is that Jesus' name is hallowed. It's made great in the church, not necessarily in society, but among those who are already professing the name of Christ. What's more, those who are professing the name of Christ realize they're just as guilty as those Jewish exorcists, that they they have these magical books that they are using to try to manipulate God just like those Jewish exorcists were, and they repent. They're cut to the heart that their lives are not lining up with what Scripture says about who God is, the profession of their lips, and they repent because they were breaking the third commandment just like those Jewish exorcists were. And there's this moment where the entire church repents. They burn all of their magic books worth millions and millions of dollars. And then the passage reaches its climax in verse 20. What is the result of the church taking seriously this command to make God's name great? Well, verse 20 tells us the gospel spreads mightily in Ephesus. The gospel spreads mightily when God's people take his name seriously. This is why Jesus connects the first petition of the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be your name, with the second, your kingdom come. When you and I take seriously the third commandment, this charge that God has placed on our lives to to make our life's mission, our aim, to make God glorious with our speech and with our actions, to make God's name weighty and beautiful and majestic as it already actually is, the kingdom spreads. The gospel goes forth, lives are changed, people are brought to repentance, starting with you and me. That's why this command is so important today. Oh, that we would be a people who take this command seriously to give the name of God the worth and the honor, the glory, the weight that it is due. Oh, that we would be a people just like those in Ephesus thousands of years ago who would be cut to the heart where our lives don't line up with the confession that we make and the gospel, the word of the Lord would spread throughout Northwest Iowa throughout this state, throughout this country, to the ends of the earth because we take seriously the command to make God's name famous, to make God's name mean something. As people who bear the name of Christ, who bear the name of God, this commandment carries an unfathomable weight an unbelievable responsibility, and yet an astounding privilege. It is an unbelievable privilege, a great, the highest honor to bear the very name of God by calling ourselves Christians. 
And as we close, that's what this morning's text is, is really all about. If there's one thing that I hope just sinks into every fiber, every crack, every crevice of your heart and your being, it is simply this. Your deliverance demands thoughtful use of God's names. Thoughtful use of God's name with your lips and with your life. Your deliverance demands thoughtful use of God's name with your lips and with your life. What does your speech declare about the worthiness of God and by extension the glory of his character? What do your actions reveal about the worthiness of God's name and by extension the glory of who he actually is? Your deliverance demands thoughtful use of God's name with your lips and your life. It's my prayer that we would be a people who hallow his name with our whole lives, that God can be glorified in the church, that God can be glorified in our homes, and the gospel will be spread to the ends of the earth. And so as we stand, as we close, I invite you to stand, and we're actually going to pray the Lord's Prayer. We're going to make this prayer our confession this morning, that God's name would actually be hallowed. And, and as we pray this, do so thoughtfully. Do so in a way that considers what this means for you, what this means for your family, what this means for your church. Please join me in, in praying this prayer. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Jordan's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.